I think at inception, uh, it was conceived of as an emergency response uh, to the U.S. election. And I think uh, had the election itself happened um, in a normal way, uh, it may have been possible that the project would have said, okay, we've served the immediate purpose of drawing attention in this context. Um, but following the insurrection, it, it became clear uh, that this project needed to be one with a legacy objective around holding Facebook to account, um, at least until governments were able to bring forward legislation to actually do that in the long term. Uh, and uh, from January, so from the beginning of this year, we really started looking beyond the United States as it became clear um, that Facebook was really only acting uh, in response to crises in the United States with the aim of placating legislators uh, hoping to avoid regulation. Um, so we started looking at, you know, not just the Philippines, um, where Maria Ressa was an obvious voice of the, the context, but places like Brazil, which have an election um, next year, um, Vietnam, where Facebook, an Amnesty International report found that Facebook was working with uh, the Vietnamese government to report on human rights activists in the country, um, Ethiopia with the current crisis, uh, and uh, you know a number of other places around the world. I think it's it's important that we remember that more than ninety percent of Facebook's users are outside the United States, um, which is a, a fact often. Uh, but it's a, of course a U.S. company, and therefore sort of a U.S. responsibility. Um, we think, to look after our own actors and their role uh, around the world. So this podcast is about um, the, the problem of large tech companies with a lot of money and a lot of power and influence. And, you know, what does society do if, if as a group, we all seem to agree that they're doing something we don't want? Like some of the things Francis Haugen brought forward, very not controversial, I think that Instagram has an impact on teens and their body image. And so, you know, society would like Facebook to do something about Instagram. Um, but how do, how do we force it to do that uh, without Inst Facebook just doing it of its own volition? Um, mm -hmm. the, the idea of an oversight board is, is logical, you know, that, that the company would set up and would, you know, it, it, you, you can imagine an oversight board that, that works, that has outside authorities and, 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 and real power. Why First of all, do you think Facebook's oversight board didn't work or doesn't work? Um, I mean, I think I think the the, the baseline assumption, um, the idea that a an industry or a company could fund and set up their own oversight board um, is in and of itself a conflict. So I think of it as you know, if if an oil company set up their own oversight board to decide wh where they could drill or a, a tobacco company set up their own oversight board uh, to decide who they could sell cigarettes to. Um, because the point at which Facebook created their own oversight board would be you know, the point at which those companies would have taken those types of decisions. And the answer to those two is, well, but there are laws that, that decide, there are government enforceable laws that decide um, where a company can drill and who a company can sell a cigarette to. Um, and that's why I think ultimately we believe that the, the need for similar regulation over big tech is must sit at the government enforceable level. So, you know, if you're writing the bylaws for your own oversight board, it's like being allowed to mark your own homework. 
And I think if you're a private business who has a duty to shareholders to maximize profit, it is unreasonable to think that you would seek oversight or create oversight yourself that would in any way impact your bottom line. And unfortunately, the, the, the mechanisms that need to be in place to safeguard societies from the worst aspects of social media require are inherently in conflict with the business interests. Um, and, and that's why I don't think it's, it's, it's a straightforward assignment to set up your own oversight um, with those key issues in mind. So grading your own homework, there's just no way to make that fair. Yeah, there, there's just, there, there's no way to, to make, you know, like say, saying whether you're doing the right thing or not fair, if the answer to that fairness impacts your actual business itself. And I think that this step, this gets into the, the bigger issue, the sort of um, the paradox of big tech companies. You know, on one hand, we have to remember that they're just private businesses trying to maximize profit. And ultimately, they're advertising businesses and their customers are advertisers and their users are their product. They're selling our attention to advertisers to make money. But on the other hand, you know, they're not just businesses. They have a, a really outsized impact now in society because they effectively serve as the digital public sphere, you know, the digital place that we all go. Um, to engage and interact. And, you know, Facebook has 2.8 billion daily active users globally. That's twice the population of China. And so if they were a country, they'd be the, the largest country by twofold. And, and that amount of power and that amount of, of ability to influence um, how we think, um, what we feel, um, requires um, additional layers of responsibility and oversight. Okay, so let's begin with the, the real oversight board. Um, how is it going so far? Um, I think from, from our pr perspective, uh, do you mean, sorry, do you mean Facebook's board or, or our no, real Facebook? No, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to use real to mean your board, and I'll leave out the word real when I mean Facebook. How about that? Okay, great, thanks. Um, I think from our perspective, we think that um, we have been able to blunt Facebook's uh, PR capacity to drive a narrative. Um, and I think that the real sign of this was around their own oversight board's release of their decision around Donald Trump. Um, because what the, the, the spin they attempted to put on it was that it was an indefinite suspension. But the, the indefinite suspension is only for two years. It expires in January of 2023. And so that conflict of the word indefinite and two year, you know, even though the conflict was in the headline itself, the media narrative was the, that the suspension was indefinite or permanent, which just wasn't true. And we were able to, in that moment, um, ensure that there was a counter view on that simple decision, uh, that seemingly straightforward decision. Um, and I, I think that was the moment at which people began to see that um, both in the media and in the public that you cannot take Facebook's word at the surface level. Uh, and they have a business interest and they will drive to protect that interest and there must be a counter voice in the conversation. Um, I think what we're aiming to do now is um, draw more attention to what's happening outside the United States 
to the U.S. Um, environment so that people in the United States can, can get a better understanding of the outsized role that this U.S. company has globally uh, and what it has done, caused, facilitated um, in different parts of the world. So let's say you you suddenly have a chance to talk to a, a big U.S. audience about that. Give me a couple of examples to prove the point that that. Things are happening around the globe that, that maybe uh, U.S. folks haven't become wise to yet. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the biggest and most important example is uh, the genocide that took place in Myanmar. Um, that Facebook has, to some degree, acknowledged a role in. Um, and we saw very recently a class action lawsuit now against Facebook for damages as well as a complaint taken to the OECD um, uh, to seek compensation for Facebook's role, um, and I think that when you when you think about this, the, that that simple that simple example, the idea that Facebook ha ha has acknowledged that they played a role in facilitating a genocide, really is is a point that that would be helpful for an American audience to to better understand, um, and I think it stems from the idea of what the internet is. And, you know, in the United States, Facebook is a website, a platform among a lot of platforms and websites. It still has a huge impact, but there is a, a marketplace. And so you can see other, um, other examples. In large parts of Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, Facebook is the internet. And what I mean by that is most internet use takes place on a mobile phone. And in a large number of countries, the use of Facebook is included as unlimited with any data plan, which means that how people engage with the idea of the internet is just on Facebook. Uh, and, and if you have no alternative for information, for connection, for organizing, uh, then that becomes, the, the role of that one place becomes enormous. And so if, your use is restricted, or if an algorithm is being used to drive people to a specific type of group or information, then it has an outsized impact in the offline world. Um, and so that for me is the, the quintessential example uh, of Facebook's role uh, globally. To, to some people, it's the whole internet, right? Mm, absolutely. It's, it, Facebook is the internet. It's the entire internet. So that that strikes me as a, a really enormous problem. Um, where would we even begin to create some kind of a counterbalancing force uh, to win to a company like Facebook, which not only has a tremendous amount of financial resources, but 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 is essentially the stuff of digital life in many places. Mm, and I mean, I, I think it it. I think if we're looking at, you know, how do we tackle this problem, we have to look to our institutions in um, in places where we can seek legislation, for example, um, so that there is a, a ripple effect of that legislation in other parts of the world. So, uh, you know, it, and I think that the, the issue that has always remains true about tech is the pace of change in tech is not necessarily congruous with the pace of deliberation in democracies to deliver good policy, right? So 
And, and because we now are largely living in this um, digital age with, with rapid news cycles, um, we've lost patience with how long sometimes things take to get right or be good. Um, and I say that because, you know, the Cambridge Analytica scandal is uh, the, the, the release of the information uh, will be three year anniversary in March of this year. And just today, just today, we've gotten the first really comprehensive piece of legislation in a country to, to look at tackling and reining in the power of these, these companies. Um, but, but there is hope on the horizon. I mean, the, the, the bill in the United Kingdom, the online safety bill, um, looks to be exceptional, looks to be potentially the benchmark for other countries to consider. Um, and in the European Union, we have the Digital Services Act, um, and I think we'll see final text of that early in the new year. But it also looks to be comprehensive and and a very good attempt at reining in their power. Um, Canada as well. I think the, the struggle, of course, is that we're at a stasis in the United States around actually legislative um, change or legislative safeguards. And it is actually what's interesting is one of the one of the things that social media has done, which is drive hyperpolarization, is actually central to the reason we can't get legislation um, because there is an election in 11 months in the United States. So why would both parties want to agree on something ahead of that election um, when they're trying to appeal to their the furthest extremes of their political parties. And so it becomes this endless cyclical loop. Um, but it is, it, it, it is to the detriment of the United States and to the world that more has not been done yet in the US. But you just made the point that almost three years to the day after the Cambridge Analytica scandal really came to light, that's how long it, take, it took for a piece of legislation that largely flowed from that incident to, to be introduced years. Yes. And the, the plus side is because the contexts are, because the company is global, that how they operate country by country is, is fairly similar, which means that if one country gets it right, other countries can use that as a, a baseline for regulation in their own country. Um, and so I think what we've been, it's been a race for, it's been a very slow race for, for the first comprehensive piece of legislation. But I think there will be a domino effect um, for the pace of change that stems from this uh, because there's somewhere to start. Um, you know, I mean, three years ago, you know, I'm thinking about these congressional hearings and these Senate hearings and not just in the U.S., I mean, all around the world where we saw legislators asking questions of um, tech CEOs that most 17-year-olds would have known the answer to, right? Because we were talking about a language, a lexicon, a digital literacy that legislators who were not native to these technologies spoke. Uh, but even just last month, when we saw similar hearings uh, in the United States and in the UK, we saw a fundamental shift in the understanding of legislators of the power of these technologies and the language that they speak. Um, and yes, that may have taken a few years, but it, it's, it's great that where we are is where we need to be. And that actually there wasn't some roughshod quick response 
um, that would have not had a legacy effect uh, in in tackling the fundamental problems. Um, saying that, though, I mean, the, the time is now. And, and, you know, if we don't act in the next few years, it may be too late simply because of the amount of power that these companies wield.